Star date negative three zero one three eight zero point six. I use a different calculator every week and it's always <laughs> wrong. Welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod, a kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about new and classic Star Trek. I'm your captain for this evening, Mariah Gossett. And with me on the view screen, we have whoever wants to go first. I'm Jara. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sue. Welcome. Welcome. Um, I think Clyde might potentially be joining us later. Um, we will see if he has time to pop in, but we are so excited to welcome our guests, uh, Jara and Sue this week. I'm so excited to have y'all here. Um, you probably recognize them. They are the wonderful humans who work on women at warp. One of our favorite pods over here at Star Trek Discovery Pod. Uh, awesome website. They do a, a ton of incredible work. Uh, you probably know Jara from Women at Warp, also an award-winning feminist blogger who's written for the Mary Sue Bitch Magazine uh, blogs and her own website, trekkiefeminist.com, and has appeared on many panels. And Sue is a lifelong Trek fan and has been a member of the online fan community since the days of uh, onset Picard Crusher fanfic. <laughs> and <laughs> she's also appeared on panels at Dragon Con, Star Trek Las Vegas, New York Comic Con. And, um... But anyway, I was like starting off, I love asking people. What is your first Trek memory? Um, and then also tell some folks if they don't know about Women at Warp, tell them a little bit about that. Cool. Okay. Well, um, Women at Warp is a podcast that explores intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. So uh, we look at representations of women, gender, queer issues, race, all that good stuff in Star Trek. And uh, you can find us at womenatwarp.com and on all the socials at Women at Warp and wherever you find podcasts. And uh, we have a rotating crew of seven hosts. So me and Sue are just a, a part of the team. Um, but yeah, it's great to be here. I'll, maybe I'll let Sue go with your memory <laughs> first. So I'm just not talking the entire yeah, time. Sure. <laughs> I mean, this is this is one of the hardest questions for me because it was just you know by the when I was a kid TOS was in reruns TNG was new and it seemed like there was always just sort of background Star Trek in the house in the evenings but like the first fandom memory I have of Star Trek is that my brother threw a season four TNG premiere party so best of both worlds part two for him and his friends and they watched in in our parents living room um and i i have very distinct memories of that night and he made a big sign that he hung above the couch that said go borg uh. and um, <laughs> yeah i was probably what was that 91 92 so i was like eight or nine mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome i love that borg party yeah I um also my first Star Trek memory is is also related to to the Borg and it is um I remember um my older siblings used to watch uh, TNG and uh one I guess I I used to watch it with them I don't remember really anything up until uh Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and uh I was like immediately hooked but also like had nightmares about the borg all summer um i was probably like oh i don't know six or seven um so yeah it was uh like it was uh definitely a one of those experiences where um 
it's it was like such a huge cliffhanger and i was like very extremely invested in the characters um, by that point so um yeah and then you know the rest is history i guess that's funny because I think my, one of my like most concrete first Star Trek memories is of Seven of Nine and like the the kind of beginnings of her journey on Voyager. So I like that the Borg has connected us all and we are a part of their collective. Indeed. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again. I'm so excited to jump into this episode with y'all. Just a few housekeeping reminders tonight for everyone who is watching us live. You can participate in the chat. Um, if you have a question, comment, something that you want us to pay attention to, you can just write capital P, capital O, capital D, capital pod, and we'll get to those a little bit later in the episode. Also, when we get to a point here in just a few minutes where maybe you have a, a, a distinct thought, a spicy take, some <laughs> initial thoughts about tonight's episode that you want to share, you can type in capital H, capital F for a hot freak, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Um, also, you can support us throughout the year on our Patreon. Uh, that is patreon.com slash Star Trek pod, where you get access to our Slack channel full of some of the best Star Trek fans, in my humble opinion, who hang out with us and there's watch longs happening all week. There's also special bonus episodes. Uh, we also just started a uh, drag channel to start talking about uh, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars this week because we know there's lots of drag queens who also enjoy Star Trek and we might as well have a little overlap in there. So if you want to come chat drag queens, articles, fan theories, all that kind of stuff. You can visit us there at patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. Uh, you can also visit Star Trek pod.co to find links to everywhere. You can listen to watch, uh, watch the stream, download the podcast, all that fun stuff. Okay. Normally I get to split that between a few people. So that was a lot of mouthful <laughs> for me. Okay. So Let's uh, try and read some Illyrian scrolls very quickly before Nurse Chapel sedates us and we can dive into this episode, Ghosts of Illyria, directed by Leslie Hope, written by Akila Cooper and Bill Walkoff, uh, with some, I don't know, you could say some hot freaks. Hot freaks! <laughs> gotta have the deep V for tonight. Um, so Sue, Jared, do you have any uh, hot freaks you want to share with us? This is just a quick 30 second uh, off the top of your noggin. What were your first initial thoughts after finishing this episode? Ooh. Um, okay. I mean, I'll go for uh, my hot freak is not on the entire episode, but like I, okay, a random thought was, I'm really glad they showed Uhura with roommates. And like, I like the idea that like the cadets don't just have giant quarters. I feel like that is semi realistic. And to it, lower deck. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like they got those little cubbies. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, that was a random thought. Although I felt bad for her because roommates are the worst. <laughs> they definitely are. Sue, what about you? Yeah, I can't stop gushing about the connections to the literary Star Trek universe and the beta canon. Um, and I, I love it when new Trek writers, not just on Strange New Worlds, but on all the shows, reach back into beta canon and even into like fanish history and pull stuff in. So, you know, anybody who says these writers don't know what they're doing doesn't know their Star Trek history. Yeah, I agree. I feel like, um, I, 
I personally really enjoy the original series. I take it with uh, with its campy grains of salt, right? Like that is what I think I enjoy the most of it. I'll also caveat and say that I'm also a person who enjoys like horror and sci-fi movies that are like so bad they return to being so good again, right? So um, I really love like the Spock-isms in this episode that remind me so much of TOS Spock and like the fascinating, the like oh, I'm still kind of learning how to deal with being on a ship full of all of these different mostly humanoids and like, how do I function within that? Um, I also really like that we finally got some Una backstory this particular episode. And I just really enjoy uh, the cast dynamic. I feel like all of these characters truly feel like they've been working and living together on this ship for a long time. And so I think... Um, between that and just the like impeccable costume design, I'm like so sucked into mm-hmm. this series. It's, it's out of this world. So those are my kind of hot freaks off the top here. Let's see what some folks in the chat had to say. Uh, we have Nicole hot freak. It feels a little weird that after they figured out why Ahura didn't get sick, they didn't mention her again. Oh yeah. She, she kind of, Maybe she was just like, I don't want to deal with all of this. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> well, it, it also was like she and a couple other people didn't get sick because they were in the dark, but then they were in the light. So right. this goes back to one of the the things about the episode that I feel like it it showed all of the best things that I loved about old episodic Star Trek, but also the irritating scientific things that were in episodic Star Trek that um, just kind of irked me a little Mm -hmm. bit. Um, But yeah, I agree. Let's see. Chupi says, uh, such an intense episode with multiple themes and messages that were still connected. Uh, Banning slash excluding all over singular incidents is detrimental to the good of all. Yes, there's a big theme from the original series. One of my favorites is the Federation got it wrong. (laughs) It's like a a pretty consistent theme. And I feel like we're definitely exploring that. Let's see some hot freak. Some people really hate the Una retcon because TOS Una was supposed to be exceptional since she was just as capable, capable as men at work, which feels sexist now. Um, I could see that, but I, I also don't think there's anything wrong with like, people go to the gym and work out and get really strong. So just because she has like great genetics, <laughs> it doesn't mean she's any less capable. Yeah. I um, also don't consider it a retcon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But more awesome. on that later. Yeah. We'll <laughs> yeah. dig into that. But yeah, I think it's partly because we also, we aren't in an era where we only have her and Yeoman Colt on the ship and like both characters are in love with Captain Pike. And yeah. um, so it's, you know, I think, in some ways, I mean, you can say that a lot of parts of this show are retcons because it isn't 100% accurate to everything we see in the cage, although it is also like a different period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to me, like it's true to the character and it's um, an update that's needed. Yeah, I, I do enjoy that we have less uh, flirtation going on seemingly, although I feel like we're getting a little hint of like Nurse Chapel and Spock, which I'm like here for like oh, yeah. a little mm-hmm. that 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 I like to dip the toe into a little bit. Also, because I just find Nurse Chapel to be so overwhelmingly charming that I think mm-hmm. it's just like, like, do you have those friends who like, they're not even flirting, they're just like existing and people are like, Oh, my God, I think they're flirting with me. And you're like, No, it's just charisma. But <laughs> <laughs> 
hundred percent. One time I thought a guy was looking at me in this meeting and I was like trying to make eyes back at him. And then the meeting ended and he just stood up and left. And I looked behind me and there was the clock was right behind my head. <laughs> so you were, his goal was just about. <laughs> Like some of that nurse chapel energy. <laughs> P.W. Gregory says, hot freight, glad Una called out the one of the good ones trope. A hundred percent. Only wish she told Pike that. I agree. I agree. That was um, one of, I, I wrote it down specifically, the would I be accepted if I was an excellent moment as being one of my top favorite things of this episode. All right, let's deep dive. My first thing I had to point out was those leather jackets on the away team. Yes. They're so good. I yes. need them. So good. I need it in a store immediately because I am not crafty. So I need someone else to make it for me. Um, but we are going down. It's an away mission classic. Uh, I mean, it is called Strange New Worlds, right? I'm pretty sure we're going to get a different world every episode. That seems to be the theme here. Um we're on the Alarian planet, uh, where there is, or I should say a planet that had an Alarian, um, colony on it. Uh, and they are trying to figure out what sort of went wrong. And in classic Trek, the captain and Spock have been left behind, uh, due to, uh, one of our favorite things in Star Trek is a, uh, ion storm. <laughs> yep. Um, what did y'all think of sort of the, the, uh, beginning sort of setups of this episode, right? So we've got the separation of the crew. We have, um, you know, something that we've seen plenty of times where it's sort of like the number one is left in charge or someone who's not normally in charge is in charge, right? So there's like the Lorelei signal, naked time, like quite a few episodes that uh, explore what happens essentially when like the captain is away and all goes to hell. <laughs> I had to watch the beginning a couple times because I, I didn't totally follow what was going on and like where were the people and what was like um I I just had a little bit of trouble following uh but I thought it looked really amazing. Um my first impression was like this is absolutely stunning. Uh the location for the um Illyrian uh colony is Ontario Place, which is like one of those things that was built to 80s, and it's like got like an IMAX theater in that dome. Um, and it's like looks super cheesy in real life. So I was like, they made it look super dope. Um, it also it kind of reminds me of the um the like Olympic Village in Montreal. Yes, exactly. Like- <laughs> it's that exact same era. Yeah. Um, yeah, I uh I feel like I wanted to oh, I had a thought and now I just lost it. It's okay, it'll come back eventually. Um but we separate the crew and they're having trouble trying to get everybody back. And, oh, this is where it was. I feel like if you're going down and there's like a history of like biohacking and potentially viruses and they don't know what happened to the population, like everyone just seems very ill prepared for potentially mm. airborne viruses. And I, it could just be the times that we're living in right now. So I'm like extra cautious about it. But as soon as that ensign opened the doors and like potentially redshirted himself quite frequently, <laughs> right off the bat i'm glad we aren't in the in the era where we're just killing off red shirts left and right i appreciate that we try to cure them in this era of trek but um he really just like cracked that open saw some sparkly dust and like no questions asked (laughs) like (laughs) they're also completely unaware of weather patterns yes like they they know that this they have scanners is is beset by ion storms 
but they can't track them. They can't say, hey, Spock, you've got five minutes to get out of there so we can all beam back. Like that seems very plot convenient that they <laughs> were unaware how close that storm was. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely been in this situation, but I, I'm assuming their technology is better. But I've been like out in the outdoors when you're just like, oh, the storm is supposed to hit at 3 p.m. And then you're like, oh, dark clouds at one. Like this is obviously sped up. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you have to have some plot driving driving devices. Right. So we have to get uh, Pike and Spock to kind of stay behind so that the chaos can sort of ensue on the on the ship. Um, I did want to talk more and maybe we can we can dig into some of y'all's um thoughts about this alarian metaphor about essentially the federation is like you're adapting your genetics and like the repercussions of the um uh eugenics wars right and and how that's kind of affecting people going forward but you see this society that so badly wanted to fit in they ended up killing themselves in the process and i thought that was quite the metaphor (laughs) there's a lot to unpack with with genetic modifications and the augments and the illyrians i mean there's also the angle of the federation which in all of Star Trek is very human centric, or at mm-hmm. least the version mm-hmm. of the Federation we get, assuming that any species that uses genetic modification is doing so for power and domination, because mm-hmm. that's what humans do. It doesn't mean that's what Illyrians are going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I also just think that it's really interesting in the context of also following on Picard, which has also kind of been pushing the boundary on like what's acceptable in terms of, of human modification and, um, and transhumanism, I guess. Like, and, um, I think that it's really interesting that like in some ways it probably reflects that we're dealing with different anxieties of our times compared to the Cold War era where it was like, you know, we're going to build a super soldier. Um, and now there's less concern about that. But I do think that like we have unresolved issues around things like genetic modification to like, quote unquote, cure disability um, and things like that. And to, you know, open the door too too much to saying that like, this is okay, is also potentially problematic. But we could talk about like, if is it a case of like, these technologies are like can technology ever be neutral and is it just based on like the way you use it because that's like a classic scientific uh, and sci-fi debate yeah and i i feel like we we get some of that debate currently right like we have so many um I feel like debates going on in the scientific community right now about like um, the capitalism and space exploration conversations of just like, just because we can, does it mean we should? And like, is it um, what is for the greater uh, push for mankind and what is like essentially just the push for technology's sake and where do those things overlap? And like, I mean, we're all meeting, you know, virtually and like all of the technology that we use also involves like, cameras and smart houses and like i mean i i watched a video today where a guy was wiring his whole house so that like it knows when you walk into a room so it can turn on the air conditioning in that room Mm -hmm. and i was just like i've watched way too much sci-fi and horror to know that one day your house is going to turn on you (laughs) like um but it is interesting that 
the I, I liked how Una sort of phrased it later is like we ad we adapted for the environments that we were in instead of adapting to the environments to us, mm -hmm. which I feel like is the polar opposite of what humanity has done. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I and I really appreciated her. Um, you know, I'd love to dig into this idea of like, would I be accepted if I wasn't excellent? Because I do think that is such a trope that so many people who are in a lot of, um, you know, minority communities or, you know, people of the of the global majority, technically, and like, um, people in the LGBTQ community, right? It's like, unless you're someone who can be held up on this pedestal, it's like so much harder to get the things that we want. And it's like, truly true equity and equality, like mm -hmm. even, um, I, I heard this about like films, like when things like Wonder Woman come out and people had like comments about the second Wonder Woman or however you feel about those sort of things. But it's like we sh like women filmmakers should be able to bomb as much as male filmmakers mm -hmm. do and mm -hmm. still get all yeah. the same opportunities because it's like that is actual true equity. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I appreciated that that line that we got to hear from her. I, I also appreciate that the show is criticizing itself. You know, yep. Pike is, is our captain. He's our hero of this series. And, you know, they give us this on its face, a very surface, like feel good moment of like, no, you're great. I would defend you. Mm -hmm. And then right away, Una's saying, I shouldn't have to be great mm -hmm. for you to defend me. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of people who are doing things at the surface level. And it's a critique of all of that. It's a critique of the performative nature that we, we have as, mm -hmm. as humans. Yeah. And to me, it also, it does fit into like, uh, talk about retconning. Like it does fit into the broader canon because we see like a similar approach taken with Bashir in Deep Space Nine um, when they discover his genetic modification and um, actually, obviously, cracked down on him much harder. Um, and he doesn't immediately have, I mean, all of his friends support him. But ultimately, it does come down to, again, like, you're a genius. And you're like, you you just like, you know, happen to contribute all this stuff. And so I guess we can let you be okay. But, um, and because he didn't have a choice. Um, but then we see the other people that have you know, uh, developed issues as a result of genetic modification that are essentially incarcerated and institutionalized. Um, and that are, I don't feel like have the support to participate fully in Federation society. And so thinking that like, this is at a time in Federation society where the eugenics wars are much closer. And it makes sense that like the society would be more rigid than it is at the time of Deep Space Nine. Mm. Um, so to me, like it, it fits into those patterns. Yeah. Um, prior to starting, we were, we were talking about like some people were discussing whether or not um, Una and being an Alarian was something that's been addressed in like the television series versus potentially in the books. And I know, Sue, I think you have lots to share on this particular topic. <laughs> this is my favorite stuff that nobody cares about but me. Um <laughs> We care, Sue. Tell us. <laughs> so obviously on, on screen before now, Una's race, I guess, was never disclosed. Um, it is assumed that she is human. And as originally conceived, she was supposed to be in the cage, the more Spock-like character, the one who seemed emotionless. And 
there's there's not a lot of records there aren't a ton of memos but like that was basically how they were going to make her forgive me manish enough to be on the bridge um but there was a as, as the star trek literature universe expanded what i call beta canon um because it's all on archived on memory beta if you know memory alpha you should also know memory beta um, in 1989 dc fontana wrote a novel called vulcan's glory in which she um said that una was or no excuse me number one she didn't have a name number one was born on illyria and um throughout beta canon throughout the comics and the novels and i think even maybe some games don't quote me on that part she has been given lots and lots and lots of backstories and even lots and lots of names. But it was, I think, around 2010 that they all started sort of converging on this Illyrian storyline slash origin. Um, one of the books in 2010, I don't, I forget the name of this one, um, said that she was born and raised on an Illyrian colony mm-hmm. and took the name Una because her Illyrian name was impossible to pronounce for non-Illyrians. Uh, she was also raised with her brothers Leighton and Hudek, which is an homage to Majel Barrett, who was credited as Emily Hudek in the cage originally. See, I'm just going to keep going. This is why you can't let me do this. <laughs> and um, so she, she took, she was called number one and took the name Una to signify one uh, because she was the top of her class and everything academically uh, with her, her athleticism, all of that. Uh, when we get to the Enterprise War, which is a discovery tie-in novel, so worked on at least with a little bit of the writer's room for the new Trek, they explicitly state that she is a human raised on an Illyrian colony. Hmm. And um, I just they think... Just didn't know yet. Yeah. I, I, and I don't think that disagrees with what we see on screen because she was hiding it. Mm-hmm. And I just really love that in 2022, we're coming full circle back around to DC Fontana in 1989 mm-hmm. saying that number one is Illyrian. And that's why for me, it's not a retcon because anything DC Fontana says is canon. You can't, um, or sorry, uh, with, uh, it does make me wonder how she got like past Starfleet or like, how did she get with her, you know, identification and things to join Starfleet Academy? Um, Like did her parents have to forge ID or, you know, was she able to just pretend she was human? She just Um, changed her DNA. Yeah. It's it's (laughs) super easy. And, um, but I did find like the, you know, there's the line about how like you can't use Illyrian blood. Um, Like that is, really analogous to i mean originally um or not originally but like blood transfusions in um earlier wars like you were prohibited from from giving black blood to white soldiers um originally and and then there was like obviously a pushback against that because they needed more blood um and even now we have restrictions on gay men donating blood and stuff and so that really hit me as a like just kind of awful thing that like someone's blood could save your life, but you won't take it because you don't like who they are. 
Yeah, I I think they've done a great job of of taking Una's story and making it so applicable to a lot of different elements and things that we're seeing currently, which is, I think, one of the things we all love about Star Trek and goes back to the original series. So I don't know what you're talking about, Fox News, when you say that (laughs) Star Trek has been woke since 1966. (laughs) Um, That is what has been happening. Um, I did want to talk about too, is I, I really enjoyed the scenes on the planet between Spock and, and Pike, not only with them having to like figure out how to survive, but them essentially making first contact yet again with, um, this new sort of embodiment of the Illyrians from that particular colony and how easy it is to fear the, the unknown until you actually know what it's, it's going to happen. Cause I think, um, it was such a beautiful thing to see that the Illyrians essentially um, protected them from the ion storm, right? It, without having to even make any contact, they probably were like, these are the Federation. This is the people we've been trying to join this whole time where we finally get to like prove ourselves in a way. And I thought that was um, a really nice packaged way to to be like, oh, you don't always have to fear the things that you don't know about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to move on to uh, kind of the chaos of the ship. So we have everyone uh, getting infected with this light uh, desire, if you will, um, <laughs> <laughs> almost like naked time, but a very different take naked time episode. <laughs> okay. Hold on though. Is that the, the very first one Ensign Lance when he mm-hmm. puts his head through the light in the corridor, mm-hmm. is that glass? Is there glass on a starship? It looked like it was like a barrier. Like, do you know, do you know, like a, like the light, the shades on an airplane that you put down to block the window? It's like that hard plastic. That's what it looked like to me was like, it was essentially like the shade that comes down before there's a window. Okay. Mm. When it, when it shattered, I was just very surprised that there would be anything on the starship that would shatter. I mean, <laughs> they, way. they have exploding consoles, so it's I'm true. not surprised. <laughs> yeah. There's fire on a lot of these bridges as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he was the one who had the dust hit him first and he, um, is the first one we see having that interaction, um, Oh, and then I just remembered because you were saying the only way they could have Una on the on the ship was to make her quote unquote like mannish. Then I, I do think then there was like a really beautiful wide shot right when Una comes on the bridge and it's all women working on the mm. bridge. I don't know if you noticed mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, ooh, I love this. <laughs> this is a nice little dig. <laughs> I believe that's also the first time we see her take the captain's chair. Mm. Mm hmm. I think so. At least in this series. I'm trying to remember if we saw her sitting in it at all, like at the end of Disco or anything. I'd have to go back and check, but I don't think so. It was definitely, it felt like a moment they were trying to have that on screen. So, so potentially. Um, and then we see Una essentially go through a similar thing where she's like light up the room, but then she sort of just like gets a hot flash and it's over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I thought it was very interesting that she, uh, you know, checks in on the away party, but then does not divulge that she had any kind of interaction at all yet. And is mm-hmm. saying that she feels fine, um, which I mean, I know she technically did, but I do wonder if there had been a moment if, if 
she had been able to capture some sort of data of her absorbing and essentially having that if it would have solved the problem quicker, you know, Mm. like if she had been more honest from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, at that point I didn't know where it was going. So I uh, was also like, why isn't she saying this? Um, And I guess it, it makes sense when they don't know necessarily that it's a disease and she doesn't necessarily know that she could help it. But um, then like, as soon as she thinks I could probably help, then she shares. Mm -hmm. Um, So. I mean, we see her at the end fully prepared, not only Mm -hmm. to resign, but to be brought up on charges. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think it's weird at all that Mm -hmm. she would try to see if she could get through this without having to divulge that information. Yeah. But as soon as she, knows she needs to she does like you can see it in her face uh in in engineering no in the transporter room with hammer Mm -hmm. yeah you can you can see the moment she makes the decision Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i did i i really felt for liana in the moment that she hears una essentially explain to um chapel and mbaga that that she is an alarian and essentially like i feel like all of lana's like world was just crushed of Mm -hmm. this trust that she's had for this person um and i i don't know if y'all uh have watched a lot i mean i feel like everyone's seen the episode of tos with kirk and Khan having their uh fight in the engineering room Mm -hmm. and so when you have the two of them also fighting in the engineering room and they're wearing the same colors i was like (laughs) This is cool. It it was also just a great, like, I enjoyed the fight choreography in that scene. And um, even though, like, I uh, I do not sympathize that much with Lon in this uh, debate, but I think um, that it was really interesting character work for both of them. And, and that backstory and the dialogue was really well written. Yeah, I could, I could see, like, she seems to be someone who probably has some trust issues. And so to hear the one person she truly mm-hmm. trusts, I, I I could see, I feel like it made sense for the character to have that um, sort of reaction. I don't think it would be mine, but you know, mm-hmm. I, I can see how she would have it for sure. Well, and especially if like what she's probably having to consider is things like did Una hide things like her mm-hmm. immense strength the entire time that they've known each other? Like were there situations where Una could have helped more and didn't cause she didn't want people to know how strong she was or things like that. Um, so that, that I, I think would have me second guessing, but ultimately it's like, but you know, that doesn't make her a different person. Mm-hmm. I think those are more second thoughts. Yes. I mean, the, the reaction that Lon is having is purely emotion. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. purely prejudice. Really. Yeah. It's what she's been taught her entire life. Mm-hmm. It yeah, also she- did make me wonder whether they should have better safeguards for just being able to like disable the warp containment field. Like <laughs> if it's fundamentally the same yeah. as a, as a self-destruct, maybe you should need like two people in a code. I mean, she is security chief. Mm-hmm. Yes. Still. <laughs> I know it felt very like, I was like, where's the voice command to stop this? Why do you still have to type something into the computer for this to stop? <laughs> yeah, good call. Um, <laughs> But I did, I I enjoyed the fight scene. And I'm sure like, if I was Una, you're probably holding back a little bit because this is your friend. But then like, at a certain point, you're like, I just have to knock this, this gal out. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this has got to stop. 
I, uh, I also really enjoyed when she just like casually flung Hammer over her <laughs> shoulder to walk him back yeah. to sick bay. <laughs> so good. Um, I was like, yeah, you did that. Holy cow. Um, what do you think? So with this sort of like, I feel like they've come full circle with, with, um, Lon and, uh, and Una and they've like kind of have this moment over the strawberries at the end when they're sort of having this heart to heart over it. Um, what do you think is going to be some of their like things they're going to have to overcome as they, they move forward, not only working together, but also in their friendships. Jared should answer this question because I've seen the next two episodes already. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. Um, I honestly, I can't say because I I feel like I have a very small sample size to work from. Um, I hope, I guess, that they rebuild some trust. I'm assuming that, like, Lon is going to develop a bit in her, like, ability to make friends with people and um, some stuff like that but i don't really i don't know at this point i'm I'm excited to see where it goes yeah um yeah i'm hoping i, I always like when they keep a little bit of tension between some of these relationships because that was um like i i love discovery but one of the um things i i kind of had craved last season was uh between burnham and stamets kind of having to have like that come full circle moment after Stamets felt that kind of betrayal at the end of the third season. And so um, I'm hoping that there's a little bit more exploration of what it takes to like rebuild a friendship, especially with two very stoic uh, mm. like people <laughs> and mm-hmm. like yeah. essentially the battle of stoicism and like lack of emotional, like mm-hmm. um, I don't want to say like ability, but like they're not big sharers. So like, <laughs> how do you kind of move past that? Yeah. I think Una and La'an are very, similar in the way that they express themselves, but Mm -hmm. for very different reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And And Lon is definitely more. Sorry, Jar. Oh, I was just going to say Lon is definitely more like closed off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciated we got some confirmation too about her, her um, uh, kind of family ties to Khan. And so that's now been sort of solidified as, um, as that relationship actually, um, being there and her sort of having some knowledge of, of her lineage and what that was like and how much that must be to, to kind of overcome when you um, are trying to be the opposite essentially of what your family has done in the past. You know what I noticed this episode and I, I did not go back to check. So forgive me, but I'm pretty sure that in episodes one and two, she was always Lieutenant Noonien Singh. They use the full hyphenated mm-hmm. name. And this episode, all of a sudden, every reference was just Lieutenant Noonien. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. And I was curious, like, why Why are we making this change? Why are we making this change without acknowledging it? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing I was that I still like, I, I think it troubles me a little bit is um, that so, you know, when they cast Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan, people were really upset about whitewashing. Obviously, mm-hmm. Ricardo Montalban was was not South Asian, but like in the original series, uh, it's referred to as as the character is supposed to be Sikh. Mm-hmm. Um, Christina Chong is not South Asian either. Um, and I don't think that it necessarily like is helpful to just have someone else from a totally different part of Asia. Um, I think she's a great actress and I like the character, but 
it, that said, if they're ma- if they're saying that she's like a Noonian, but not a Noonian saying like she's from half of the family that doesn't come from India, then like there's potentially some character background that justifies it. But um, I do have some questions around like, did they think through the background of this character in the casting mm-hmm. and like how closely related she's supposed to be to Khan? Yeah, it's like was this like your mom's cousins somewhat <laughs> like yeah. what's the yeah. what's the lineage yeah, here? or is it like your great grandfather mm-hmm. yeah they just give us an ancestor which mm-hmm. is not a lot to go on yeah that's interesting yeah i guess only time will tell we're only three episodes in we got so much more to go y'all um and i feel like we we haven't talked yet um about the heartbreaking um uh, backstory we get about um Mbanga and his uh, daughter and her sort of living in this stasis and only really living for moments at a time um, so that he can try to find this cure. Um, I, I really appreciated that we, I think Una could easily have been kind of very cold and by the book, especially having been like facing potential um, backlash from the Federation, right, for for her actions. And she instead was like, oh, someone's kind of given me some grace and I'm going to pass that along too. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about <laughs> the situation with Mbenga and his daughter um, and a lot of ethical questions mm-hmm. as well. Like, what is it, what is life like for her living moments at a time? Um does did did she consent can she consent because she's i forget did they say her age she's very young very young like maybe like 12 yeah um yeah but i mean the the idea i think is kind of a a lovely one like who wouldn't Mm -hmm. want to do everything they can to to save a loved one or to even just look for a cure Mm -hmm. um and we've we've seen plenty of of Star Trek where you know they were sick, so they put them in stasis. Yeah, right. So this is in a way a different kind of stasis. It just led to a malfunction that endangered the entire crew. Oops. I was confused about how Una's solution fixed the problem because wasn't the problem like he didn't up update his transporter pattern buffers, and also I didn't understand how that let anything through because they weren't using the medical transporter when they transported up. So what I, the, the logic that I put together was because it didn't get upgraded at space dock, it doesn't have the same filters as the other transporter because it's just an internal system. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And when they needed more power to draw upon, to get everyone off of the planet Uh, from the ion storm, they used the power from that. And so essentially it Mm -hmm. like, negated the filter on the other one okay but then how does giving it its own power source help that like so then if they draw power from other systems for the transporters it's not going to use the transporter system settings from the medical transporter couldn't you just put the kid in the upgraded transporter pattern buffer then upgrade the other transporter buffer and then put the kid back in the other one how so, long does the upgrade take? Could you just take her out of stasis yeah. and then upgrade it and then put her back in? Yeah. <laughs> I think the way the way it was framed to me, it was you refuse to upgrade your your pattern buffer program. You you refuse this patch. That's what caused the error. Mm-hmm. And by the way, 
you're storing something in the transporter that's drawing mm-hmm. extra power. Ah, okay. So I don't think the 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 storing of her in mm-hmm. there caused the issue, but they just also found it in their ah. level five diagnostic. Mm. Okay. So they can still upgrade the thing. Yeah. That isn't okay. Yeah. So he and, was probably just afraid of them finding out. That that makes more right. sense. I I just there was a lot of there was a lot of techno babble in this episode. Yeah. And there was a lot of story in this episode, mm-hmm. and yeah. it was mm-hmm. it's the shortest one yet, mm-hmm. too. It was quite jam packed. Um, what did y'all think of Pike and Una's um sort of moment at the end, where Una sort of lays out everything and 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 lays her badge on the on the desk, and they kind of have that little heart to heart. I mean, that's our, our feel good moment, right? Mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. I think any series of Star Trek before now would have ended on that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, with the, you know, I'll defend you. You're one of the good ones. Yep. I mean, we, we talked about that part already, but mm-hmm. I mean, the unspoken part of you're one of the good ones is, and every other member of that group is bad. Mm-hmm. Like, he says this thing that, like, you know, I feel like the Illyrians have really been misunderstood. And, and but he he is still kind of not crossing that bridge of your people deserve full acceptance, regardless of their level of contribution to Starfleet. Yeah. Um, and it also, I mean, the other thing about that approach is, um, yeah, that, like, when you view people as, like, the representative of that group. She's, like, the inspiring example of what an Illyrian could be. She's, like, the mm-hmm. model minority um, yeah. type, basically. Um, and then you get the um, other type that comes from that, which is when someone from that group doesn't live up to that expectation that they are the representative of their entire group. Like, oh, well, of course we could never trust you Illyrians. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, all right, let's take a look Andrew, if there's any questions or things that have popped up in the chat. I'm looking for a capital P, capital O, capital D, capital pod to see what y'all have going on here. Stress-free K, I like the Una arc, but where are the legit LGBT people in Strange New Worlds? Ortegas, will it just be a slow rollout? I know, I feel like we've gotten mm-hmm. um, spoiled over at Discovery that it's feeling a little lackadaisical over here, but... Um, I have no doubt we'll, we'll get to see, um, some folks cause I, I do love Ortega's, um, on the bridge and I'm, I'm excited and hopefully we get some more backstory. Um, I don't know a hundred percent, uh, if it's, if Ortega's is going to be queer. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, I think we need queer characters for sure. I feel like we haven't seen a lot about anyone's you know, romantic or, or sexual interest. Um, and so there's some that we know from canon, like Chapel. Um, and obviously there's been the, the controversy around Spock. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity to introduce queer characters and I hope we get there. Yeah. Same. Even I would just love this, like a, a background thing. You're like, it's like the lounge and you see like, some people holding hands, you know, like give me some like background people as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. We we know from canon that Chapel is into Spock. Yeah. And we know mm-hmm. from canon that Spock and T'Pring were engaged. Mm-hmm. But until a character like says the line, says the, the words, I'm straight. Yeah. I don't think they're straight. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody's straight. <laughs> Yep. In the future? No. We, we've got to get past that, right? Yeah. We've, we're all on the spectrum. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, let's see, Nicole. I just don't understand the end result of the virus. What happened when it's allowed to run unchecked? They turn into light beings. <laughs> this is a great question, Nicole. <laughs> so the okay, let me, I just I want to preface this nerdy stuff I'm about to say. With, <laughs> I am recapping this series for our blog for the Women at War mm-hmm. blog. So I have watched this episode like six times now. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why <laughs> it's helpful. The, the explanation as I understand it is that this virus made the Illyrians so attracted to light that they ran into the ion storms to get to the lightning. And then the presence of whatever these ions are, cause ions can be of any element, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> With their own uh, genetic modifications and like electromagnetic presence, which I guess body heat um, mm-hmm. <laughs> combined to turn them into these light beings. So the virus itself did not turn them into the light beings, mm. but it like, I guess kind of like toxoplasmosis. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was cats. thinking. Yeah. <laughs> made mm. the like it, seek out the lightning and that. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's trying to, it gets people to go into the light and then that way it can theoretically spread to more people, but yeah. then all the people just died. So interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think as far as like on the ship, right. So they turn out the lights, which at least slows the transmission. They like knock everybody out who's been infected so that they're not running around the ship, potentially infecting more people and also aren't going crazy trying to do terrible things on the ship. Um, like bring aboard the core of the planet onto the ship oh or explode the warp core. Um, that was real cool though. Yeah, like Hammer is cool. a genius, but yeah. um, that line, "I am a genius." So that was great. <laughs> they they had definite like you know COVID influenced parts of this oh, episode, yeah. like the oh, reference yeah. to contact tracing. I mean, I know that the, that like was a thing before COVID, but I feel mm-hmm. like the average person was not aware of it. Um, and then they also had um the uh I feel like the the turning off the lights thing is uh, not super. Uh, doesn't really work super well when you consider like there are many light uh, sources, including body heat um, mm-hmm. and like everything on the ship that is functioning still. Um, but it it would like be the equivalent of potentially like masking. So mm-hmm. you're you're helping cut down on the transmission. Turn out your lights and stop the spread. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Catchy uh. posters go up all across the ship. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, Thomas Hill has a question. How did Chapel use the transporter if the buffer is holding something else? That is a good question um, from our first episode. I imagine, I mean, just because you're in the pattern buffer doesn't mean you have like nothing else can go through the pattern buffer, right? Yeah, I guess we'd have to see. Because like Scotty and um, other guy in Relics. We're both uh-huh. in the pattern buffer. I For like 70 years. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but I I wonder if like it can hold as many people as there are like transporter pads. Yeah. So I, I slots. didn't clock how many there were in sickbay. Mm-hmm. But that would be my guess is that yeah. there's plenty of room in there. Yeah. And I also wonder if it's just like as long as you're beaming someone up and the other people essentially are beaming with like yeah. your – 
endpoint has also been determined for you, right? So mm-hmm. it's like if you don't have an endpoint determined, then you're just like in the in yeah. the the big white space from like um and remember, like, in, in the Voyager episode Counterpoint, when they're, like, hiding all the telepaths in the transporter buffer, yeah, and they yeah. have, like, 30 people. So yeah. um, I feel like there's something to there that you can have a bigger number of people. Because, I mean, I guess the question is, it basically, is it just data that they're storing in the transporter buffer? Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. Because I and, and also in like disco, they use the transporter buffer when like the ship has to go through the barrier and it's going to like catch on fire and like all the stuff and just mm-hmm. Burnham's left on the bridge and everyone else is just hanging out in the pattern buffer. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's also because they all have individual transporters. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Mm. Um, let's see here. I do think <laughs> I've been spoiled by disco and our flag means death. I think that's true with queer yeah. representation. <laughs> We've all been spoiled. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, am I uh, now just only going to watch queer people on ships? That's like my genre. <laughs> that seems to be what I'm watching lately. I just joined a Facebook meme group called our flag means Trek. That is all just star Trek and our flag means death memes. Uh, I need an invite to that immediately. <laughs> yeah, look it up. You can uh, just join and you have to like answer questions saying that you're going to respect people and stuff. Amazing. You're welcome for that influx of members. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. Yep. Um, all right. Well, I think that's all I had down for this particular episode. Is there anything else y'all wanted to chat about? It was a, it was a tight 45 this app. So <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I just want to clarify because, I mean, I know I kind of, um, I you know, quipped that nobody's straight on Star Trek, which I truly believe. But, yes, we do need, like, canon explicit mm-hmm. queer representation. Yeah. We need it on all of the shows. Um, and I, I hope it is fast in coming. But I mm-hmm. also, like, I personally, as an, somebody on the ace spectrum – don't need my enterprise to turn into a soap opera either. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm kind of okay if there aren't relationships on board, yeah. but I would like there to be queer people on board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, room for, for the sure. entire rainbow on all of these ships. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Someone just said, what is our flag means death? <gasps> Only the best show you should watch on HBO right now. <laughs> yeah. Queer pirates. Queer That's pirates. What it is. It's, it's the show I just saw um, uh, Strange New Worlds just overtook uh, our flag means death on like streaming demand yes. uh, mm-hmm. charts. So, you know, the top two shows yeah. on streaming demand is is right where my my sweet spot is right now. Um, I also uh, saw a question back when we were talking about um, race and uh, Noonien saying about like, have we had a South Asian character mm-hmm. on uh, on the bridge? And we haven't had our regular, but there was the short tracks, which was on the Enterprise with Pike. <laughs> Um, which questionable training management style there, but, uh, <laughs> I, I would love to see that actor back in Strange New Worlds. And uh, I think it's, uh, a missed opportunity if, if we don't, cause they, they set up some pretty cool background for her. I think that was Ensign Sidhu. I believe so. I yeah. think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. Um, yeah, I loved all the short tracks, so I hope we get some, some of that stuff to, mm-hmm. to carry over, um, into strange new worlds um for sure 
Um, all right, y'all. Well, I think that's it. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We really appreciate your time. We will be back again next week for another recap. I think it'll be all the usual crew, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so we're excited to, to hang out with y'all. But uh, can you tell people where to find y'all again in your work? Uh, you can find me. I'm on the socials at Jarrah Penguin. That's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And you can find me at Trekkie Feminist and all of our stuff at Women at Warp. Yeah, and I'm on Twitter at Speltor, S-P-A-L-T-O-R, also at Women at Warp. And if you like reading about the show you just watched, like I said, I'm uh, doing her recaps, which go up usually around 10 a.m. Eastern time the day the episode releases. Uh, amazing. Well, thank you all so much again for joining us tonight. It was a pleasure to have you. Uh, again, you can find us at StarTrekPod.co for links to everywhere, uh, including the Patreon. Uh, and you can find me online at Mariah Gossett. I appreciate y'all's time. Live long and prosper. Bye.